You know, some of the best times that we've spent together as a church family uh, have become uh, at our church family campo, which usually takes place in June. And if you've never been, and if doors open enough, uh, open up enough that we can do it uh, here in June in 2021, I would highly encourage you to consider coming. It is a phenomenal time, and uh, we go out as a family about 100 or so from the church, sometimes more, sometimes slightly less. We go out to the group site at Bovie Lake Camp and have a wonderful weekend together. And you know, probably this morning, we could be together and share stories for the entire morning. We could just open the floor and, uh, and share special memories from uh, our shared times together. I just want to share a couple. I remember back three or four years ago, maybe five years ago now, to the great Cindy Dempsey water fight. And those of you who are there remember this well, after hours, literally, I'm not even exaggerating, hours of water flying around the campground, if you were to take a Google Earth snapshot of that dry, grassy area, um, I don't know how big it is, a couple of acres anyway, um, it probably would have resembled more of a reservoir than a group campout site. And we laughed and had piles of fun. Uh, people will remember things like soccer games and zip lines. We'll remember things like our capture the flag games where year after year the kids try to beat the adults. And despite their best efforts and despite their cheating and despite the things that they do, the name calling, calling people like myself, can you believe it, old fogies and geezers and the elderly, uh, still we found as adults ways to humble them and it was awesome. We remember great things like the time that we had a baptism and as that young lady came out of the water, one of our elders tackled one of our esteemed, revered pastoral leaders into the lake, the leech-infested waters of Bovey Lake, and came out and we cheered and laughed and remembered together. We have piles of fun. And as we think back to the stories, even this morning, as I shared with Cindy Dempsey, who's here in the back, I can see her right now, we laughed and remembered fondly times we had together. But, you know, if we were to, to capture the essence and the moment of our church campout uh, in the right ways, probably what we would focus on is our campfire times together. Times when we gather around a fire pit, or sometimes if it's raining, like it did two years ago, it rained the entire weekend, uh, just poured, we go into the shelter. But around that circle, we've had special memories together. Times of singing, times of sharing food, times of experimenting with food that we've read about online around, that we cook in the campfire. Times of sitting at the feet of the one and only Ron Bowles, who's spinning yet another yarn and telling another tale. And I know, Ron, you're watching this morning, and we just want to give a special shout out to you. Ron has uh, had some pneumonia he's been working through, and we just want to say, Ron, we love you, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you, and we're watching as God is working in your life. We look forward to seeing you soon. But probably the, the time around the campfire that, that captures our hearts the most, the memories that we remember the most are when God's people tell God's stories, testimonies. And as we are together and we hear the stories of different ones who've come, it's left deep and profound impressions on our hearts. And without fail, I think back through the years that when we get to the end of those testimonies, people have said to us, listen, if you remember nothing else, if, if I can summarize this all into one thought, it would be this. And they've shared with us how God has moved or how God has healed how God has transformed, how he's renewed, how he's restored, how he's redeemed, all of these things. It's come down to, you know, a few different stories, but the essence of what God has done in them is captured in one thought. 
And there's something about those stories, friends, that's powerful. Something about gathering together in a circle. And whether it's, it's hearing from one another in light ways or, or if we're testifying and, and sharing the testimonies of God uh, in, the, in, the, in the deeper and, and powerful ways, there's something about those stories that teaches us something unique, something important, something profound that we, we remember for years to come. There's something about stories that touches and changes our lives. And Jesus knew this when he taught the parables. He knew the power of story and the impact it has on us as believers and indeed as people in our culture. And how it leaves an impression that will change us, sometimes for eternity. We're beginning this morning a new series, and we've just simply entitled it Parables. And the idea of it is this, that for the next five weeks, we're going to have five different speakers look at five different stories from Scripture. And the instruction we've given to each one is just simply this. It's just be faithful to the text. Tell the stories of Jesus. Uh, preach what is held in the, within these words. And share them with us. And so this morning we're starting with the parable of the rich fool. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 12. If you're following us online this morning, I just want to extend a very special welcome to you. We're excited that you're here with us. And while we've got a great group here uh, in the building this morning, we know there's also a great group online. So thank you for joining us. And if you want to follow along, I know that there's a tab on the Church Online page, and you can click on that and find your way to Luke chapter 12. If you're here in person, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles or your device if you don't have something. There's Bibles at the ushers table in the back, and we would love to give that to you as a gift here today, that you can read about the stories of Jesus and, and, the, and, and glean from Scripture in a hopefully rich and distinct ways. Luke chapter 12, I'll read this for us and then we'll spend a little bit of time picking it apart and looking at what God wants to teach us here today. Starting in verse 13, we read these words. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He said to them this story. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. The last seven months have been unbelievable. In fact, it feels like every time that a preacher or, or another person gets into this pulpit to share with us um, there's a similar tone or a similar reference. These days are unprecedented. And yet I have to confess that in, the, in this season of, of, of precedence or, or new precedence, I've caught myself sitting in my office many times, staring out my windows, looking at that beautiful tree out in front of the church, daydreaming and wondering when life will get back to normal again. Maybe it's looking back and thinking back to the way things used to be. Or maybe it's looking forward and wondering what the new normal will become. But I found myself 
wondering. And I found myself asking God when that day is going to come. Jesus has just finished teaching here in Luke 12, and he's been addressing the religious crowd and the religious spirit, and he's addressing issues of the heart. And in doing so, he gets to the end of his time of warnings and encouragements, and as he, as he finishes his, his talk, as he finishes teaching these people, somebody puts up their hand in the crowd. I don't know if you've ever been in a position like I am right now where you've taught people or you've instructed people, but... When you spend time with people, either teaching as a teacher in front of a classroom or in a Bible study or from a pulpit, when you spend time with people and you get to the end of your talk and you've wanted to make a point and somebody puts up their hand and they've missed the point, it's pretty frustrating. It's discouraging. It's defeating. Sometimes it even makes us angry. And this is the posture. This is the position that Jesus finds himself in. A man puts his hand up and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to, invite, to divide the inheritance with me. And it exposes a heart condition and it frustrates Jesus. The point of what Jesus just taught is that, is that Christ transforms us on the inside. And yet this man steps forward and it's obvious that transformation hasn't taken place. And so when Jesus goes to address him, he doesn't do so in a light way. He's frustrated and he's angry. And he starts with these words in verse 14. He says, man, who appointed, you to be, who appointed me to be a judge or arbiter between you? This isn't like surfer dude talk or beach talk. Like, man, what's going on? This is anger. That's, that's an aggressive pronoun that Jesus uses. And he's almost, it's like he's pointing fingers. And he says, man, what do you think's going on here? Who do you think I am? What's taking place? And he's frustrated. But what it does is that it exposes the heart of the human condition. It exposes that as much as there was great teaching, as much as there was a great environment, as much as there was the right person at the right time saying the right things and and doing the right things, that the heart has a way of pulling us back to fleshly desires and fleshly considerations, and it's dangerous. And we have to guard against that. And we have to avoid chasing the flesh. Think back to the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are living in the garden, and it's the perfect environment. In Eden, everything was right, and yet in the garden, they were tempted, and they followed the flesh. They ate the forbidden fruit. And this is the, this is the, the caution that we have in days like we're living in. This is the temptation that we have, is that as we look at the opportunities, or we look at the steps forward, as we look at the things that we can do to make a difference and create new normal, even like the one, either like the one that we used to live in or the one that we're hoping for, if we're not careful, we can chase the flesh and it will lead us to dangerous places that in the moment might feel really right as we move forward. But in the midst of the journey or at the end of the journey, we'll look back and realize that it's taken us to places that we never intended to go, even sometimes with eternal consequences. We have to be careful because the pull of the flesh is a very powerful thing. And whether it's the darkest of hours, like sometimes we found ourselves in within COVID, or it's the best of the days, if we're not careful... The pull of the flesh can lead us away from the kingdom of God. And so I think we need, as we look forward, and as we consider what it is that God has for us next, we have to uh, develop a discernment process, or we have to consider how we can make wise choices to pursue the things that God wants, 
rather than the comforts and temptations of what the flesh wants. And so how do we do this? Well, I want to suggest to us three things here uh, that we can do to develop a discernment process that I believe will lead us to better choices and better places in the long term, even if they're less comfortable now. Even if if it presents a more difficult journey, a process that we can use now that will help lead us forward. And so the first thing would be this. The first thing that we must do is we have to create margin or space to make decisions in our lives. I'm trying to think back over the last, this is a humbling moment for me right now, 42 years of my life, 42, I'm over the hill, guys, 42 years of my life, and I'm trying to remember a time when I had to make an immediate decision. Even in the thickest of moments, in the thickest of days, I can't remember a time where I didn't have an hour or sometimes even a few minutes just to pause and consider what is the best way moving forward. There's always room for margin in life. And I think that's the first step in the discernment process. We create space, whether it's an hour or a day or a week or a month, sometimes even a year, to, to just stop, to close our eyes and to pray and say, God, what would you have me do? The first step is we create margin and we pray. The second step is that we turn to the good word, the good book. And we learn and we glean and we grow from it. I love what Justine said before about Arian's uh, process and what she's gone through. Uh, Those words will leave an impression on her heart. And when life gets thick and when it gets full and when it gets heavy, she's going to be able to lean into those words and understand the wisdom of God to lead her moving forward. And friends, we have to do the same. We need to drink from the pages of Scripture. We have to understand the truths of 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 16, which says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Let me turn to it very quickly here. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to drink from the pages of Scripture and allow it to guide us in our journeys. And the last thing is we need to seek godly counsel or godly wisdom. When we're making a decision, there's always time to slow down. There's always time to look into God's word. There's always time to pray. And there's always time to turn to the left or the right and ask godly people around us. And share with them our situation and say, what do you think? What is God saying to you for how I can move forward? And whether it's the the advice of godly parents or it's, it's within the circles of our small group community. Or maybe if, if you wanted to come and speak with a pastor, maybe it's something there. But there's always room to process life and process uh, our journeys within the context of community. Can I push a pause for a second, take a side off, take a step off the side? Because I want to make, I want to say something here that I think uh, is become an observation and is, and is really important in the community, and the context that we find ourselves here in, in Western Canada. And it's a concern that I have more and more, and it's a concern that I'm dealing with in my own life as well, and that I'm processing. And it's this, that I believe more and more we're making decisions in isolation. And that's concerning. More and more as we are making life-changing decisions or, or life-altering or, 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 or course-changing decisions, whatever the case might be, We're making decisions without working through healthy process and for sure without processing it in community. And I think it's leading us to dangerous spots. Whether it's anxiety or discouragement, whether it's uh, even sinfulness at times, um, we're finding ourselves uh, more and more in our culture, um, just figuring it out on our own. And I think this is very dangerous. 
I believe that God, uh, God desires for us to live in circles. Right now, we're in rows. If you're here in the church, maybe at home, you're, you're in a circle. But I think God intentionally leads us into circles, sitting around a table, sitting in a living room, sitting with friends in a coffee shop, whatever the case might be. He, he brings us to places where we could live in circles and process life together. And I think this is the way it's got to be. And more and more as, as we have lived out our lives, 42 years now, uh, Roland and I have been married almost 20 years, uh, as we've served in the church for almost, you know, over 16 years now, uh, I'm just seeing more and more that decisions are making, decisions are being made by oneself. And we're missing the joy of community, we're missing the opportunities to process things together and to move forward together. And, and I really believe this is the way God wants it. Friends, are we going to embrace uh, passionate ideas that come to mind when our stomachs are growling? Or are we going to embrace the steady, God-given, kingdom-building direction that the Holy Spirit has placed in our hearts to do? I want us to consider this because as we look at the beginning of this passage, I think we see a man who sees an opportunity and makes a poor decision. He puts up his hand, maybe with some measure of innocence, but what his heart, his, what, what his heart reveals, what his question reveals is that his heart is pursuing the flesh and not living for God. Well, as Jesus begins to tell this story in verse 16, it says he told them this parable and, and he presents or he paints this picture of, of something that we were probably very familiar with a couple of years ago here in Alberta. There's a man who's planted a crop and as he's planted a crop, um, it yields an abundant harvest. And I, I, I really think it's an interesting story because up until a couple of years ago, even actually in recent days, I think this is something that in Alberta we probably knew very well. As we made investments, as we worked hard, as we set our hands to different tasks, um, there was a blessing, there was a reward, there was an abundance that came as we worked together. And as the abundance is given to this man, and as he's all of a sudden come into many resources, he is confronted with a question that we see um, in verse 17, that we often find ourselves in as well. A place that we often find ourselves in as well. It says to He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And I think that as we're looking for normal, whether it's the normal of yesteryear it's the, or it's the normal of the days to come, the normal of tomorrow, as we search for this, we are going to be confronted with a question. We're going to be confronted with a choice and in that, we must make wise decisions as well. Because what plays out on the back end of these decisions, as we've just been talking about, has significant and sometimes even eternal implications. And so we have to be careful how we move the ball down the field. What Jesus leads us to here in verse 21 and in other places of Scripture is that true abundance in life doesn't come in the things that we have, but rather in building God's kingdom and in sharing it with others. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19 says, Be rich in good works. Be ready to share. Take hold of that which is true life. And yet sometimes when we're confronted with a choice, we choose comfort over kingdom. Sometimes we choose abundance over sharing. Sometimes things in our heart that feel like really good ideas are not the things that are the God choices for us moving forward. We had a former staff member here at the church, and they've moved on now, but uh, I remember from them, 
as they were leaving this place. And one of the legacies that they left in my life was simply this. That oftentimes God gives the opportunity to make or to move forward in the God ideas and not the good ideas. What feels good, what feels right, what will lead to more comfort and sometimes even more abundance are the good ideas that come to mind in life. But what God wants for us can be very different than the good things that we believe we can take advantage of. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful in in making healthy decisions. And let me be very clear because I don't want to create a chain here this morning for anybody. I have no issue with abundance. When we work hard and when when we see opportunity, there's nothing wrong with with moving forward in some of those things. In fact, I believe that those are sometimes often the God directions that he gives to us. The issue that comes at hand is how we use those resources. It's what is going on inside of our heart. It's moving forward with kingdom building and kingdom realities. And so... Um, I don't have issue with enjoying luxury in life personally. But what I think Jesus speaks to here is a heart that's drawn towards God as our riches. He says at the end of verse 21, uh, being rich toward God and considering those around us. God has blessed our province in so many ways. He's blessed we here in Lethbridge in so many ways. If you're uh, in other parts of the world, he's blessed you in so many different ways. And as we're here collectively together this morning, the only thing I want us to consider is how we can use the things that God has given to us to build his kingdom and to make his name famous and not just to make ourselves look good or make ourselves comfortable. Is it a good idea or is it a God idea? Look at the pathways that are in front of us. And move forward in the ways that he is leading us moving forward. And so how do we do this? Well, I want to suggest that very similar to to chasing the flesh, that that moving forward in the God ideas uh, works through a similar process. We create margin in our lives and we pray. We look into the word of God. We process things in community. And as we do, I believe that God will show us the better way. That he will lead us forward in the God-given kingdom pathways of life. And will lead us in ways that on the long, in the short term might seem more difficult. But in the long term, will show us the good life that he desires to give us. And the good life that both of these men were trying to find. Let me step off my chair for a second and make another quick point. A couple of years ago, we had somebody in our church, James Chuang who was a former pastor, an associate pastor in this church in the 70s, and then went on to do international work or missions work in Southeast Asia uh, uh, since that time and, and is, is now starting to slow down a little bit. And I remember James saying something to me and, think, and I thought to myself, that's just stupid. But now that I'm over the hill and starting on the decline, I'm realizing there's profound wisdom in it. And it was simply this, that if there's two pathways to choose in life, you should always choose the harder path. Think about that. You can take the data process it if you like. If you want to challenge me, call James. Don't, don't, you know. Anyway, you know where I'm going. Always choose the harder path. Yesterday we were at the corn maze and my strategy to get through the corn maze was just to follow the, the, the footsteps or to follow the trail that it seemed like everybody else was going on. And there's folly to that in life, friends, because in the, in the, in the, in the uh, earthly condition or in the fleshly condition that we find ourselves in, the sinful condition that we find ourselves, we always choose the easier way. 
And the easier way, typically, if not always, leads us to destruction. The harder way, the harder way is oftentimes, if not always, God's way. And it's in the journey, the difficult pathways of life, that God does his best work. He hones us and he shapes us. He corrects us. He, he refines us. He beautifies us. And in, and in doing so, we learn the lessons that we needed to learn along the way. And then when we get to the other side, we receive the blessing that God intends to, to extend to us. And so think it through. If there's two pathways, always choose the harder path. Well, Jesus lands the plane here in a way that I just simply love, where he invites us to consider how we can be rich towards God. The idea of building his kingdom and not our own. And friends, this truly is the good life that we've been searching for. As he finishes this passage, he says in verse 21, this is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. He's inviting us there to look internally and externally at our lives and to make adjustments. And I think when most people are listening today, whether they're in person or online, they're probably in agreement that things aren't necessarily anymore the things, the things in life uh, that we have aren't necessarily anymore the things that we value. But things that we actually do value uh, might look a little bit different. It might be our time or our freedom. It might even be our control. And so just because we're not chasing material things, as we see here with these two men, doesn't mean that we're not uh, chasing after God or choosing God's kingdom like we're called to do. There's this quote that says, if God does not own our possessions, then our possessions will own us. And similarly, if God does not own our desires then our desires will own us as well. And so, friends, it would be an oversimplification of this message to simply say, don't chase after worldly possessions and worldly things. It would be an oversimplification to say, do not pursue your own kingdom. I think that would miss the point. Because we see in the life of Jesus, and I think he's saying to us here, he's not telling us to not have passion. He's not telling us not to work hard. He's not telling us to build a kingdom or to restrain our hearts or to have, a, to have a fear of having desires. What I believe Jesus is inviting us into is to chase after his kingdom and to pursue the riches of a God and of a life that's, that's, uh, uh, that's the good life in God's eyes. Let your heart chase after the riches of God and find joy in living there. How different would this story have been if the rich man had turned and saw the good crop not as a place of self-security and pride, but if he had taken that good crop and put it into the barns of the poor, the needy, and the community around him as a place to, to store his abundance? What if he could give, what if he could love God by loving his neighbor as himself? What if he took that crop and saw the greater purpose uh, the, the greater purpose beyond comfort for him and he saw it as an opportunity to share with others and bring others into the kingdom of God and the abundance of the Father. Our good life isn't going to be found in the building up of ourselves but rather in a commitment to God and a commitment to his kingdom into loving and serving the people of God around us. That's the good life, friends. And if we're to chase after anything in life, we know from Scripture it says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then it says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so life presents to us a series of choices. 
And the issue is not whether we have $200 or $2 million. The issue is not whether or not we plant a seed that produces a mighty harvest. The issue and choice we have is what we do with the profits that God gives to us and what we do with that harvest and how we hear God inviting us to invest it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And as we do, we want to close our service this morning by choosing Jesus in a fresh way. We're going to come around the communion table. And I trust if you're online or if you're here in person, your communion elements are ready. But I want us to consider a moment the choice and the decision that that confronted Jesus. As he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have chose comfort friends. And he probably could have chose a fleshly, abundant life of fleeing from that garden, but instead, he chose to what? He chose to endure the cross, and in doing so, he hung on a cross and he paid the price for our sins. His body was bruised and broken. His blood was poured out, and in doing so, he gave to us an abundant life that no worldly possession, that no thing, that no amount of money ever could provide for us. He gave to us freedom, brothers and sisters. He gave to us the Father. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and consider them, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is the richness of the Father. This is the abundance of the King. This is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It comes because of what Jesus has done for us. And this is the good life. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and together with the worship team, we're going to take our elements. And if you're at home, I'd invite you to take them out now. If you're here, I'd invite you to take them out now. And here in person, we're going to peel back the top layer and we're going to take the bread. And I'm going to just invite us to take a few moments to hold on to this wafer and to remember and to celebrate the good life that Jesus has given to us. I'm going to pray in a moment and then we're going to partake together. And then we'll, similarly, we'll take a moment to reflect and remember and we'll take the cup and I'll pray and we'll partake together. But let's be contemplative. Let's be cognizant of the fact that because of Jesus, we already have the good life. And that we live in the new normal realities of the cross. Would you bow your head with me? If you're at home, would you just quietly reflect with us? Let's hold the bread and let's praise Jesus together. Jesus, we confess that these days are hard. And whether it's the ongoing realities of wearing these masks or social distancing or watching numbers rise or it's the ongoing reality of sin in our lives, God, we just say that these days are hard, but in it, God, we know we have freedom. We praise you, Lord Jesus, because what you did for us, we never could have done for ourselves. And so we thank you that you hung on the cross. Your body was bruised and broken and destroyed so that the curse of sin could be destroyed in our lives and we would live within the new normals that you long for us to know. And we do know them because of Jesus. And so we thank you for this bread. 
We thank you for the abundant life that we can live in here today. Maybe the, the things of life that we, the earthly things of life aren't abundant like we sometimes would desire. But the spiritual realities, your provision day in and day out, Father, are abundant. They're overflowing. And we thank you for that. God, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in the mighty name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ broken for us. Let's partake together. Now I'd invite you to take the cup. As we take the cup, uh, once again, we're just going to pause for a moment, just be a few seconds. Let's thank Jesus for righteousness, for holiness, that new normal. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, I think back to the old chorus, white as snow, white as snow. Though my skins are as scarlet, Lord, I know that I've been forgiven. Jesus, we are sinful people. We're broken. But we confess and we declare that we are sinners saved by grace. And so we thank you for the blood that was poured out. We thank you that before the almighty God of heaven, we have been declared as holy, righteous people. And we praise you for the opportunity to come before you and declare these things and praise you for this reality in our lives. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for the blood. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. The blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's partake together. Well, friends, as we... Uh, move towards the conclusion of our service. We're going to take time to once again declare Jesus as King. And so whether you're here in person or you're watching online, we would invite you to join the worship team and I would invite you to make a declaration. Today we're confronted with a choice. We can walk out of this place and we can continue to live life in the flesh or we can look to Jesus now and hold out our hands. And declare him to be Lord and Savior. Would you stand with me? And would you join our worship team as we sing this last song together?